BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson won't be sworn in as a Supreme Court justice until the end of the current term when Stephen Breyer steps down, and that won't be until late June or early July. But that hasn't stopped a lot of us from thinking about the meaning and significance of her confirmation and of that horrible confirmation hearing that she endured. For comment, we turn to Michelle Goodwin. She's Chancellor's Professor of Law at the University of California, Irvine, where she's also the founder and director of the Center for Biotechnology and Global Health Policy and its Reproductive Justice Initiative. She's been published in the New York Times, Salon, Politico, and The Nation, and she's host and executive producer of the podcast On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin. Last time she was here, we talked about her experiences of racism in daily life in Minneapolis before she came to Irvine. Michelle Goodwin, welcome back. It's a pleasure to be with you, John. Well, many discussions of the Supreme Court on this podcast start with the Dred Scott case or maybe Brown versus Board of Education, but you open your new piece for the nation with an 1873 case called Bradwell versus Illinois, that one was not on my exam. What was it? It's not been on the exam for most people. Sadly, it's a case that is a bit obscure, but nonetheless important to U.S. jurisprudence and law. It's a case that involved a woman who wanted to become an attorney. She wanted to be able to practice with her husband, but there was a state law that for bade women from becoming attorneys. And the case was challenged all the way to the Supreme Court because she wanted to become an attorney. She wanted to be able to practice. She wanted to be able to have all of the opportunities as a lawyer, as her husband had. And at the United States Supreme Court, they upheld this law that banned women from becoming lawyers in the state of Illinois. And the court used the most misogynistic language to uphold this case. They talked about how it was important for her uh, to take care of her husband, uh, how it was important that women uh, have their roles in the home. And undergirding all of this was the sense that women lacked the capacity to reason. Women lacked the capacity as the court said, for forensic strife. Uh, and then the court justified 
its sexism and this ban by saying that even though they didn't have precedent for the sense that women lacked capacity to think and to reason, they said it came from the laws of nature, as if they had gotten a phone call directly from Mother Nature or from God to say that women should never become attorneys. And that, I think, is really important to the story about Judge Jackson and women in general, because it's not that women didn't want to take on these roles. It's that men in power barred them from doing so. Please remind us how many black people have served as Supreme Court justices since the beginning of the Republic and what proportion of them were Clarence Thomas? This is such a great question. Well, in the 233-year history of the United States Supreme Court, there have only been two Black justices to serve, Thurgood Marshall, and after his retirement, Justice Clarence Thomas, who currently serves. Judge Jackson, when she becomes Justice Jackson, will be only the third Black person in over 230 years to serve on the United States Supreme Court. And while you're at it, and maybe this is the next question, let's be clear that there have only been five women to ever serve on the United States Supreme Court, and three are serving right now. So, Judge Jackson is the first black woman to be confirmed as a Supreme Court justice, but there's other firsts that she represents. That's right. So she's the first federal defender to serve on the court, and that's critically important. John, when you think about it, the first 10 amendments to the United States Constitution, what we call the Bill of Rights, all are designed to protect people from the tyranny of the state. There are specific amendments that relate directly to protecting people who've been accused and alleged of committing crimes or suspected of having committed a wrong to protect them against the tyranny of the state. And so the fact that she was a federal defender fits right in with what people who claim that they're originalist and textualist should actually celebrate. And that is protecting even the most vulnerable in society against sometimes the misdeeds of the state. So that's a first. It's also the case that she brings to the Supreme Court um, a background from having been from the South. Both of her parents are from the Jim Crow South. It's been decades since there's been a justice on the court who's hailed from the South. So that too happens to be very important. She graduated from public schools. She's not the only person on the court to have graduated from public schools, but that's really important considering that the majority of Americans graduate from public schools. I wanna talk also about the treatment she received in that confirmation hearing from the Republicans. What did you make of the way she was attacked? It was unbecoming behavior for such an august body. And let me put it in context, right? So for people who might think that this is always the dealings and that there are no rules around conduct in Congress, nothing could be further from the truth. Here's an example. After the Clarence Thomas hearings, Justice Thomas hearings to become justice, he was judged then, and that grueling, offensive behavior against Anita Hill, it spurred women running for office. Do you know that rules had to be changed so that women could actually wear pants, right? So there are lots of rules about conduct, about procedure, 
about decorum, about dress. This behavior was so unhinged by members of the Senate Judiciary Committee um, who yelled, who screamed, who behaved in ways that were just simply unbecoming and demeaning towards Judge Jackson. Now, she handled herself with incredible poise and dignity and grace during uh, that process. One disappointing aspect of this is that when one reflects back on the hearings that uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg had, we were able to see her brilliance. We were able to actually learn about what influenced her jurisprudence and what influenced her as a judge. She talked about how each year she would visit the jails in D.C. and take her clerks there because she never wanted to be far removed from the lives of people in whose liberty she held as a judge. All of that provided such great texture, uh, which we can still observe in the transcripts and by going online and watching these C-SPAN videos. But we got none of that, unfortunately, with these particular hearings, all culminating not only in attacks against Judge Jackson, but I think fundamentally showing their hand in terms of attacks on our democracy and the rule of law. And what did you make of the Democrats' response to the Republican treatment of Judge Jackson? Well, this connects with my concern related to the rules of decorum. We know that they exist. And unfortunately, there wasn't the use of the gavel, which was deserved at numerous times during um, the space of the hearings. There were Senate Judiciary Committee members that said, well, we're basically going to treat her as we remember Justice Kavanaugh being treated. But they were wrong. Judge Kavanaugh did not experience what she was put through, and she was not accused by a credible witness of having sexually assaulted uh, or harassed anybody. But it was not the conduct that was experienced by Judge Kavanaugh, um, now Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, Justice Gorsuch. Uh, she was put through fire, really. She had to walk through fire. And it wasn't until uh, Senator, junior senators, Cory Booker and Alex Padilla, who brought a little bit of humanity back to the process. And that was quite moving, I think, for um, a lot of Americans who later said that she was, you know, their favorite in coming through this process in more than a generation. Well, I have a theory about the Republicans' treatment of Judge Jackson. They faced a huge problem in opposing her nomination because basically her record is flawless. She's always mm. been excellent. And as a judge, she's been pretty much in the mainstream of things. She hasn't said defund the police. She hasn't said abolish the prisons. And it was pretty clear from the beginning she was going to be confirmed. So they were really kind of uh, desperate. And of course, there is the fact that she was a black woman and somehow a black woman can be treated differently by the Senate Judiciary Committee. Am I going too far there? You're not. Unfortunately, there was a level of spectacle connected with racism and sexism and misogyny. And lest people believe that that's perhaps exaggerating a bit, it's not. It, it actually saddens me, you know, sometimes when I when we have to reflect on these histories that should actually cause us all moments to pause. And I think that when we reflect on them honestly, 
you know, these histories include the spectacle and real pain. I don't make light of it. When I say spectacle, I say spectacle for the depth of what it is, the spectacle of lynching, right? The spectacle of people taking photographs of themselves and mailing them to friends and family members, smiling, having picnics um, while Black people's bodies um, languished in the air or were burned uh to the bone nearly, um, there's this spectacle that is memorialized in images of hoses and dogs being set upon black people. Um, the spectacle of being in diners where then black people are pulled off the seats and beaten because they're not to be welcome at the lunch counters, uh, the spectacle of a Ruby Bridges being escorted at five, six years old into school surrounded by guards for her protection. Um, the spectacle of the integration of, of Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, while mobs of hundreds are outside demanding that at least one be brought out of the nine students so that they could be lynched. These are the realities of our nation. And behind all of this sat laws and sat legislators who thought that the very laws that folks were seeking to strike down were just, even though we understand how cruel they were, how racist they were, how sexist they were. And in many ways, what we saw was a kind of modern version of the spectacle. And we saw that even at the time of the votes, the failure to pay attention to the protocols of Congress in terms of dress, coming in without a tie, doing the kind of thumbs down, um, the weight that Senator Rand Paul, uh, you know, sort of made um, after the votes were in and the weight that was, you know, what was it, uh, 15, 20, 30 minutes, just the wait until his vote came through, all of that to show a kind of sneer. And of course, along the way, a smear of her and the accusations that somehow she is a groomer of pedophiles, that she is uh, soft on crime, and that she cares little about people who are uh, victimized due to crime. The Senate Judiciary Committee um, and then the broader Senate showing such a level of disrespect and disregard that makes one question um, why they are in those positions at all. And in addition to the abuse and the spectacle, there were some substantive legal arguments that her critics were making, which are pretty scary, especially the attack on her work as a public defender, which is about a larger legal principle. That's right. So the United States incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. We incarcerate more women than any other country in the world, more than Russia, Thailand, China combined, toss in Mexico as well. And so in that backdrop, um, and we understand that it's important for our democracy and the rule of law, that there are people willing to be uh, attorneys who represent people who are indigent and who are charged uh, with having committed crimes against the state. And so both in terms of state public defenders and also federal public federal defenders who are representing um, people who are indigent, who are caught within the federal uh, criminal justice system. Those are very important jobs um, to have because justice does matter. 
also, I think this is important to connect this conversation to what it's meant on the Supreme Court, where over time, within that space, there have been far more people who've been prosecutors than there have been people who represent individuals who are charged with crimes. And that too is, you know, is what makes it refreshing in terms of Judge Jackson becoming Justice Jackson and serving on the Supreme Court in the very near future, uh, because we've lost sight of the full scope of this process and what it's meant to represent. And finally, although we didn't get to learn really anything about her judicial views or even much about her life, the rules of decorum require that she simply listen to the people attacking her. She's not allowed to defend herself in uh, that situation. But even there, you've suggested in the nation that we can learn some lessons from her conduct at that hearing. That's right. We could learn a lot from her wit, her grit, her grace, her ability to be patient, her ability to be respectful, even in the face of scurrilous uh, attack, her ability to be able to pivot, her ability to drill down to the nuts and bolts of a matter, um, her ability to uh, not suffer fools. There was a point in which she said that she had answered the question and she was no longer going to entertain questions that were uh, beneath the dignity of the office that she holds and the space in which she was in. All of what she demonstrated, including the way in which she was able to educate the Senate and the public in the spaces in which that was permissible, showed us what it is to actually be a judge, what it means to be a justice, to have the kind of temperament, composure, and ability to be able to effectively articulate, um, even in the face of people who are engaged in vile conduct and behavior. And so it was a terrific lesson. And I think that one could juxtapose it to the conduct and behavior that we've seen in recent confirmation hearings. I mean, she demonstrated uh, without being snarky, without being snide, uh, without acting arrogant, uh, really showed what um, we should want out of people who ascend to the offices of being judge or justice. Michelle Goodwin, you can read her piece, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's Confirmation Moves Us Closer to Building a Better and More Credible Supreme Court at thenation.com. Thank you, Michelle. This is great. It's always a pleasure to be on with you, John. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.